Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord which engages us this morning comes from our epistle lesson, 1 Thessalonians read earlier. I hold a seminary record, a record that I think can probably not ever be broken. I wish I could say it was some sort of prestigious athletic record. I wish I could say I had the most tennis wins of all time as a seminary student, but for those that know, my tennis record here could charitably be described as solid, but by no means a record. No, the seminary record I hold, earliest funeral. The first morning after I was installed as a vicar, so low because I was an alternate route vicar serving this congregation, I had a sermon and a funeral to conduct solo on my own without a supervisor that had even seen my sermon yet. I was petrified, totally. See, I just came in on Thursday. I found out Saturday morning from one of the elders that this faithful woman of the congregation had died, and they'd already made plans for 10 a.m. on Monday morning. I still remember asking Elder Gale, well, who did your funerals during the eight-month eight month vacancy that came before? And Gail thought and said, we didn't have any funerals in the previous eight months. And I said a quick thank you prayer to God for preparing this good work in advance for me to do. I thought I would simply be looking for the paper clips in my office on Monday morning, and instead I'm conducting a solo funeral service for preaching the wondrous gospel of my Lord Jesus Christ, but doing so in front of 150 people half of them members, half of them non-members, congregation, uh, community people that knew this rather successful retired businesswoman, including one non-Lutheran pastor that was there. I was scared spitless, but a good and gracious God used the words of this very scared vicar to bring encouragement to a grieving family, a family that had a very faithful loved one who had died. And the Lord used that experience to build my trust in the comfort of His words in these difficult situations. I encourage you to listen, for those of you that are in pastoral uh, ministry track, listen closely to your Hom 2 profs, because you don't know when that first funeral sermon may occur. I encourage you also to get to know this particular epistle lesson, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following, well before you finish your seminary formation. It comes up here in the lectionary once every three years during our November End Times Sundays, but it will become one that is very important to you in your pastoral and diaconal ministry, either for pastoral care and counsel or as a suggested epistle text for many funerals. This lesson does such a wonderful job of navigating between that delicate balance between grief and hope, as Paul writes in the first verse there. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul here implicitly admits that Christians can and do grieve when a loved one dies. The Bible records numerous places where God himself grieves, most specifically when Jesus sheds a tear at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. 
Some faithful Christians feel like they are carrying unwarranted or feel like they have a burden of guilt that is unwarranted because of their grief. They think Christians shouldn't feel grief, but death is real, and it is dreadful, and it, it, it warrants our tears. But Paul does go on to point out that our Christian grief has a character of hope that is different because of Christ's resurrection. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. A couple of years ago, I had a peculiar experience with grief. A good friend of mine, actually one of the groomsmen in in our wedding, died somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, He was still in his 50s. But he had had severe arthritis for years, and because of all the various medications he was on, he had complications from that. I had known Lance for 25 years, and during that entire time that I'd known him, I knew that he had a twin brother, an identical twin brother. But he lived four states away, so I never actually got to meet his twin brother until the funeral. Here was this odd juxtaposition where I could see my friend's body, the body that I had actually seen in the hospital room before they had taken him to the funeral home. I knew how his body had been racked with pain, how he had not been able to walk without the aid of a walker for years. And I knew that he was dead and in the casket there. But yet, here was this other man with all the same mannerisms, the same voice, walking and talking and looking very healthy and strong, And it was an odd sense of grief. But it was also a figurative way, a figurative way that it foreshadowed my friend's resurrection for me, of how the Lord will give him a new body on that day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In this section of Scripture, Paul uses grand and glorious language to describe this great and glorious day when Christ returns. Language like descends from heaven and voice of an archangel and trumpet of God and meet the Lord in the clouds. But then he ends the paragraph with this simple, very earthy, very here and now phrase that is so easy to skip over. He says, therefore, encourage one another. With these words. About three years ago, when I was pastor in Kansas, a little four year old boy at our early childhood center was at a bowling alley with his father on Easter Saturday. And some woman that they knew came up to them and started making small talk about what they were doing for their Easter celebration. And she looked at the little boy and said, Yes, Easter, it's just all about Easter bunny and Easter eggs, isn't it? And the little four year old looked back at her and said, Oh, no, ma'am. Easter's about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the grave for us. And his dad just wrapped him in his arms because his four-year-old son had encouraged him with those words and the woman. That little boy knew what it meant to encourage one another with the words about Christ's resurrection. I don't know when you'll be called upon to comfort friends and relatives with the gospel of hope during their grief. I don't know when the Lord will call you, for those of you in the pastoral ministry track, when he will call you to do your first funeral, or when you'll be given 
pastoral care to a grieving family. I don't know in those times when you may be asked to do two or three funerals during Holy Week or Christmas Week, but I'm pretty sure that those sorts of things are going to happen to many of you. May we all here be like that four-year-old boy and share this wondrous gospel of Jesus' resurrection confidently, comforting and encouraging those who need to hear those words so badly. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.